like to ask you to open your Bibles to chapter uh, 1 of Peter's second letter, <clears throat> Second Peter chapter 1, and we'll go to the end of the chapter to verses 19 through 21, and I'll read those for us today. <clears throat> I'm going to pick back up on a message that I started last week, and it is called A Sure Word, and this is part three of uh, this three-part message. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, I'll read this scripture aloud. If you'd please follow along in your copy of God's Word, which I do hope that you have in your hand today a copy of God's Word. Verse 19. It says, and so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man. But holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. May the Lord bless to, his, to our heart the reading of His Word, and may He give us grace that we give careful heed to that which we have heard. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank You, Lord. I thank You for the worship of the living Savior that has taken place in this assembly already today. Lord, we come to your word now, and we desire to hear from it. Lord, I pray that you will use it in our lives, and I pray you'll give me grace that I may deliver it to your people, and I pray that they may have grace, O Lord, that they may be able to receive your word, and that it may truly have an impact in our lives. Father, we need your grace if we will serve you with reverence and godly fear. So I ask you for it today. I thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and that message of the cross that is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So Lord, we gather around your word in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and needing the help of the Holy Spirit to enable us, Lord, to strengthen us, to provide for us today. And I ask it from you, in the name of your beloved Son, the one in whom you are well pleased, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. A uh, sure word. We went uh, through this last week and began to look at the first point from this in verse 19. It is the cert certainty, and it's how we trust the Bible. Last Sunday night, we jumped into the second point. Uh, which was this, and I need to go back to this real quick and let you know this what's in this little statement here. And this kind of summarizes this first point. It is that we trust the Bible because we can trust Jesus. We can trust the Bible because we can trust Jesus. Even this morning in the scripture reading from John chapter 19, we saw there that Jesus was fulfilling scripture. Um, he accomplished uh, the Old Testament prophecies concerning himself that he was to accomplish in his first coming. So we can go to the Bible and we can trust Scripture because really we can trust Jesus. He is the one that God proclaimed him to be. The one in whom he is 
who is his beloved son and the one in whom he is well pleased. So I want you to take that statement and think on it a little more even as you go out from here. I'm not going to go back and preach that first point again this morning, but it does seem to point us to that way. If you can't trust who Jesus was, then you cannot trust the Bible. But if you can trust that Jesus was the Son of God, then you can trust that the Bible is true. Let's go to point number two. Point number two is this, careful attention. This is how we treat the Bible, how we treat the Bible. And we began to look into this a little bit last week, and let's take a look at the verse again there in verse 19 because he says, and we have the prophetic word confirmed. That's the first point that we gathered from that, the certainty that is confirmed in Christ. Verse 19, which uh, you do well to heed. This is where the second point comes from. How it's careful attention, how we treat the Bible. That's what the word heed in the New King James Version means. It means to give careful consideration. It means to be watchful. Yesterday, or last night, I was at, uh, in a, a Publix parking lot. And uh, as I was uh, pulling out or getting into my vehicle to leave, I saw a man... Uh, with three children, one in a carrier in the arm, a little baby, one in his arms, holding here probably, I don't know how the child was, and another one walking. And uh, he reminded me of myself back several years ago. And he was walking through Publix's parking lot, a lot of traffic around, and he was giving careful heed because he told his daughter who was walking with him, he said, you stay inside here. He put himself on the outside where the vehicles passing by would have been. And he made sure that he walked next to her, next to himself. And then he walked carefully across the parking lot and then into actually the restaurant that he was uh, planning to go into. He was giving heed. He was being careful. He was being watchful. And when we come to the Bible here in verse 19, Peter is saying to his readers then and to his readers now, that we are we, we do well to heed the word of God as a light that shines in a dark place. So we give careful attention to it. Holy Bible, book divine, precious treasure, thou art mine. Mine to t- tell me whence I came, mine to tell me what I am, mine to tell of joys to come, and the rebel sinner's doom. O thou holy book divine, precious treasure, thou art mine. So he realizes that that is the attitude that we ought to have toward the living word of God. We see secondly from this, and I want to see you from, see it from the text, these two other things, why we take heed and how long we take heed. Now, do you see it in the verse, verse 19, as you look at it in your Bibles? Do you see why I put there why we take heed? Why do we take heed to this prophetic scripture that's been given? Because it's like a what? It's like a light shining in what? A dark place. That's right. Now, do you see how long we do it? How long do we take heed? Till when? The day dawns and the... Right, see? 
that came right out of that verse. Why we take heed and how long we take heed. So let's talk about the first part for just a moment. Why do we take heed? Alistair Begg has said, The Bible shows me myself, and the Bible shows me my Savior. Psalm 36, verse 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. It's been said about Rembrandt, who painted a picture of an elderly lady holding a Bible, and she was reading it in a dark room, and the light that was in the room was actually not coming from above or from around, but the light in the room is actually emanating from the pages of the book that she is holding in her hand. Erwin Lutzer has said about the Bible that the Bible, if it is true, is like a light shining in a musty basement, guiding us to the door that leads to eternal life. And we don't need to be reminded of the darkness that we are in. We know that the scripture tells us that men love darkness rather than light. The Bible actually says in Ephesians 5, 8, that you were once darkness. It's talking about the Ephesian believers. and It's talking about the New Life Baptist Church believers. We were once darkness, but now we are light in the Lord. And we also see in 1 Peter 2, 9, that he has called us out of darkness. Think about a new, the news. Uh, if you were to check out the news, you would hear about murders and of thefts and of lewdness and of adulteries and fornications and all sorts of wickedness in the world that is all around us on a daily basis why? Because we are in darkness and we are that darkness apart from the light of God's word and apart from the gospel. But we can have light in the Lord. Jesus is the light of the world. And we can cast off the works of darkness and we can put on the armor of light and we can walk in that light. I want to remind you of a few verses very quickly. Psalm 119.105. You know what it says. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119 verse 130. The, the entrance of your words gives light. I give understanding to the simple, God says. Psalm 19 verse 18. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. Proverbs 6.23 For the commandment is a lamp, and the law a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And then it is said of about our Lord Jesus Christ in John 1, 4-5. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. You see, the light of God's word and the light of Jesus go hand in hand with one another. But then we see that we are to, uh, how long we are to hold to this or heed to this light. The last part of it, as we've already recognized, uh, in verse 19, he says, Until the day dawns and the morning star rises, in your hearts. So it's the beginning of a new day. A new day will be dawning. The day, perhaps, is what he means here, is when the day of God, when Christ returns in power and glory. Second Peter 3, verse 10. 
says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. We look and we look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, as we see in verse 13 of chapter 3. It is a place, a new heaven and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Then he says, therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. So this new day is going to come. This dawn of a new day. And on that dawning of the new day, there is going to be this morning star that rises. The word there is phosphorus. It's actually the word that many would believe it's talking about Venus. Um, There is another interpretation of this that it could mean the sun rising. Now, I want to give you a little bit of information on this. The Bible says in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, for those who fear his name, when the for those who fear his name, the sun S-U-N of righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Furthermore, in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, uh, the prophecy concerning Jacob, it says, A star shall come out of Jacob. And then we see in Luke 1, 76, and the Jacob there was his descendants. But in Luke 1, 76 through 78, in verse 78, it talks about the coming of Christ. And it says, with which the day spring from on high has visited us. Day spring being capitalized, proper, talking about Christ who would come. In Revelation 2 and verse 28, Jesus says to those who overcome that he will give him the morning star. And then finally, in Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus said, uh, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Jesus claims for himself to be this bright and morning star. And Peter, writing to us, says that there will come a day when this new day is going to dawn. I submit to you that may very well be the coming of Christ. And our uh, faith will become sight when we see Christ as that morning star rises in our hearts, perhaps Christ being that morning star himself. I want to read a summary of this. I think this is from John Stott, but here's, and I quote, it says, Though the world is darkened by sin, God's word pointing to the future enlightens believers about his ways. But the day is coming. In the daytime, lamps are no longer needed. And a lamp is nothing compared with the morning star, phosphorus, the light bringer. Much as a lamp at night anticipates and is outshined by the bright morning star, so Old Testament prophecy looks ahead to the coming of Christ, the bright morning star, until he comes Believers are to let the scriptures illumine their hearts 
Though the light which it brings on that day will be greatly exceeded by the understanding which will be in their hearts. In Hebrews chapter 9, you see there are two comings of Christ. There's the first coming in which He came to do away with sin. And then we see that there will be a second appearing of Christ. In the second appearing of Christ, He will come for salvation. The bright morning star arising in our hearts. So we know that Peter here is not talking about the first coming of Christ. We know that he is talking about his second coming. Because that bright morning star is yet to come. And we heed the word until that faith which we have becomes sight. So, hope that makes some sense. Which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. We had a a men's supper on Thursday night, and I thought about it at that supper, that, boy, we really spend a lot of time reading and studying the Bible around here. All right, so we have our Sunday morning service, and I'm currently trying to deliver to you the Word of God. Um, Sunday night, we'll come back together. And tonight, here again from God's Word, a message that I'm entitling uh, the Bible, the book of God. Why? We can trust that the Bible is reliable or something like that. I haven't worked out the subtitle very well. All right. So um, we're going to come back tonight and listen from the Bible. Before then, we're going to have small groups here in just a little while. And guess what we're going to do there? Open up the Bible and study it. And then on Wednesday night, when we come back together, we'll be broken up into various classes. But in every one of them, I believe the Bible's going to be opened. It's going to be taught in some way, in some fashion. And then, you know, when we have other gatherings, like we have a men's Bible study at 4.30 on on a Sunday afternoon. What do y'all do there? Open the Bible and study it. Thursday night, we had the men's meal. We opened up the Bible, and a brother delivered the Word of God to us. I haven't been in a lot of the baby showers and wedding showers and things like that that our ladies have, but I I bet the Bible is opened up. The scripture is shared in some way in those meetings together. Why in the world do we spend so much time in this book? We have to. It is a light. And we're in a dark place. And we've got to pay careful attention to it. You know, it's not just reading it and hearing it, but we want to be a doer of it. That's when you're paying careful attention. And Peter is reminding us today, what we do in opening this book, it's a good thing. Keep it up. As a matter of fact, keep doing it till Jesus returns or until we go to see him first. So the Bible is so important. Pharaoh did not heed God's word. The Bible says often of him in the book of Exodus that he hardened his heart and he did not heed them as the Lord had said. There's some of you today who are being like Pharaoh You hear the word of the Lord, but you harden your heart. Your neck is stiff and you refuse 
to do what the Lord commands in His Word. You spurn the name of the Lord Jesus and His gospel, and you reject Him. Psalm 17, verse 15 says, As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Proverbs 13, 13 says, He who despises the word will be destroyed, but he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Robert Chapman, the apostle of love, who lived from 1803 to 1902, um, wrote this about the Bible. He said, This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts binding, its histories are true, and its decisions are immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's charter. Here paradise is restored, heaven opened, and the gates of hell disclosed. Christ is its grand subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, test the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, prayerfully. It is a mine of wealth, a paradise of glory, and a river of pleasure. It is given you in life. It will be opened at the judgment and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its sacred contents. And so we see in Deuteronomy 32... That Moses says, the Lord says to his people through Moses, set your hearts on all the words which I testify among you today, which you shall command your children and be careful to observe all the words of this law, for it is not a futile thing for you because it is your life. And by this word, you shall prolong your days in the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. How will you prolong your days in the heavenly kingdom of God? It will be only in obedience to the word of God. And all the word of God is pointing to one person. And who is that one person? The Lord Jesus Christ and find salvation through him. You know, it. They, the two are not separated from one another. The Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is pointing us to the Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the Word that became flesh. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. It's in Christ, in Him alone. Point number three. Concurrence 
Now, where'd you get that from this passage? Concurrence. How we take the Bible. Do you take the Bible as a book from man or as a book from God? Tonight, we're going to be looking at the reason why we must take this book, the 66 books that are found in the Bible, as a book from God. But here we see in verses 20 and 21. So he says this about this morning star rising in our hearts, taking heed to the light of the word until that star arises. Our faith becomes sight in verse 20. He says, knowing this first. In other words, why should you heed the light, the word of God, the prophetic word as a light? He says in verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation for prophecy never came by the will of man but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit I want to speak briefly to verse 20 the um, this New King James Version says a private interpretation and that uh, in first uh, glance causes you to think well it's no Private interpretation. All right, you read it, and then a person determines what it means. And so you're, they're interpreting it. And he, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about a person interpreting what the Bible means. That's, um, that's not uh, what, what this passage is talking about. We know that from context. Now, looking at verse 20, in my footnotes in my Bible, there's an alternate word that could be used for interpretation in verse 20 and it is the word origin and the word from which this comes is a greek word that means unloosing or unraveling think of it in this way maybe you have a ball um, i don't know what do you call a thing of yarn when you buy it was it what say it very clearly and loudly i still can't skein of yarn did i say that correctly okay uh, i'm pretty sure that when you get that you don't use it right out of the don't you unravel it and then roll it up into a ball and use it a lot of times maybe i hope so all right i was trying to relate to some of our ladies this morning with that but that was obviously a miserable failure you know guys think of an extension cord <laughs> okay Think extension cord. All right. You unloose that thing because you want to find the end of it. And then when you finally get to the end of it to plug it in, you might find it. Oh, that's where it begins. You plug it in. Or yarn, you may unravel that, roll it up into a ball, and that's where it begins. And that's what this word in loosing kind of pictures. It's of no private unloosing interpretation. It's no of, of no private origin. In other words, Isaiah or Zechariah did not wake up one morning and say, Hey, I think I'm going to write some scripture today. Seems like a good, bright, sunny day to write scripture. I'm just going to write some stuff out. Peter's saying here, no, that's not the way it came to be. That's not how it happened. The reason you ought to heed this book is because it's not a book that's given from men, even though it came through men, but it is a book whose origin is found in God. Amen. In the creator of all things, the heavens and the earth. 
So concurrence means this. Con means like together, current, uh, same direction, flow. So together, flow. The reality is, and I'll read this definition and then show how it applies here. It's the fact of two or more events or circumstances happening or existing at the same time. And so we see in the Bible this dual authorship. A dual authorship of the Bible. On the one hand, yes, men wrote the Bible. Somebody did not go out into the woods one day and find these golden tablets and say, Oh, look, a word from God. Nor was there this book that came down out of heaven on a string and someone grabbed it and said, Hey, look, God has spoken to us through His word. But this book was written by men. But these men, as we see, were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word moved is the same as the phrase came by at the first part of verse 21. But he says, for prophecy never came. This is why we know that it doesn't mean interpretation in the way we think of interpretation, but of origin in verse 21, because he's talking about where it came from. For prophecy never came by the will of man. Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Hosea, Joel, Amos, they did not wake up and say, hey, let's write some scripture. Because that's not the way it worked. But we see in verse 21, but holy men, men set aside by God for this purpose, spoke as they were moved, as they were carried along. It's the same verb that's used in Acts twenty-seven seventeen about a ship being driven by the wind. And so these men were moved, driven by the Holy Spirit to write the Word of God. We see examples of concurrence in the Bible. You think about Genesis 50, verse 20. Now, two acts happening at the same time for two different purposes. You know what it was. Joseph said to his brothers, what man intended for evil or what you intended for evil, God intended for good. So they were working concurrently to accomplish God's purpose. We can see it in Luke. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 1, we see it in the introduction to his letter. Uh, His, not his letter, but his gospel. Luke here, this doctor and a great historian, Luke has given us in the, the book of Acts the uh, most detailed history of the church in the early days than anywhere else. It's the gospel or the, the book of Acts. And he has these two volumes. You have the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. In the first part of Luke, he says this, Inasmuch... As many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. Maybe he's thinking about Matthew. Maybe he's thinking about Mark. Verse 22. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us. See, Luke was not an eyewitness, but the apostles were. Peter being the source for Mark's gospel. Verse 3, he says, It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account 
O most excellent Theophilus, or most excellent Theophilus, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. You see how God was moving a man to write the word? And we see that throughout the scriptures. Now, if you'll go back to 1 Peter 1, we'll begin to wrap this up. 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12. All of this was written. God moved all the authors of Scripture to write Scripture. And it is now given to us. And it is something that we do well to take heed until the morning star arises. The day dawns and the morning star arises because it is like a light. Why is it a light? You can trust the Bible because you can trust Jesus. He fulfilled Scripture. I read this to you last week, and I'll read it again. In verse 10, it says, Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when He testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It didn't end there in verse 12. To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. All of this message, all of this light, all of this is important because of that message of salvation, the gospel. And we proclaim that gospel week in and week out throughout our services and our time together because that gospel is what this book is pointing to. And that gospel is your only hope on the day of judgment and my only hope. And that gospel shapes everything in our lives. From our work ethic to our marriages, to the way that we raise our children to how we worship together, to the thoughts that are in our minds. The gospel shapes it. So we do well to heed this word. Not as a word from men, written by men, yes, but as the word from God, which gives us the light of salvation. Do you know that light? It is in Christ. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior, believe in Him today. Repent toward God. And then what the Bible has told us that we are to do if we, as we will follow Christ is to follow Him in believer's baptism in which you show that you are buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in newness of life. The entire message is an invitation And the invitation is always opened.
to receive Christ, believing that what the Word of God says about Him is true, is true for you. Let's pray. Father, the ancient prayer that I shared some time back, I pray again now. Lord, I pray from cowardice that shrinks from new truth, from the laziness that is content with half-truth, and from the arrogance that thinks it knows all truth, God of truth, deliver us. I pray, and Lord, I pray, let us see Christ in your word. For we know that all truth is in Christ. And I pray this now in Jesus' name, amen.